The Moment Has Arrived. I'm Tom Dickinson, and this is episode 10 of season 1 of The Moment, a Doctor Who podcast where some Doctor Who fans talk about Doctor Who. Each week, a different guest joins me to talk about a particular moment in the show that they've got a lot to say about. This week, my guest is Luke Harrison, who you might know from his 10-year stint as the presenter of the Minute Doctor Who podcast, or Tamudwup, a video podcast that ended earlier this year. Luke joined me to talk about a moment from The Reboss Operation, a story from the classic series of Doctor Who, specifically Season 16, or as the North American marketing team for the Doctor Who home video releases would apparently like us to call it, Tom Baker Season 5. If season numbers don't mean anything to you, then Season 16 is the key to time season. And if that doesn't mean anything to you either, then that's okay, I'm going to explain it. For this season, the Doctor and his robot dog, Canine, are joined by a new companion, a fellow Time Lord named Romana, played in this incarnation by Mary Tam. Throughout the six stories in this season, the Doctor and Romana are tasked by the all-powerful White Guardian to collect all six segments of an artifact called the Key to Time, which has been scattered throughout space and time and hidden as various objects. That's right, kids, pack a lunch, we're going on a fetch quest. The first leg of the journey takes the Doctor and Romana to the planet Reboss, where the Horcrux they're looking for has taken the form of a lump of Jethric, an incredibly valuable mineral. Unluckily for them, that lump of Jethric is being used as the central prop in a con, where two crooks have planted it on Reboss in an attempt to convince a disgraced nobleman, the Graf Vindicae, that the planet is rich with valuable Jethric, which of course it isn't, so they can swindle him into buying the planet. And unluckily for everyone involved, the Graf happens to be a violent psychopath. As part three of the Reboss operation begins, things are going badly. The Doctor and Romana have been taken prisoner by the Graf, and so has Garen, the senior of the two con men. The junior con man, Unstoff, has fled to the streets of Reboss to evade capture by the Graf, where he encounters a poor beggar named Binro. Binro sees Unstoff fleeing from a guard and hastily offers Unstoff a hiding place in the dingy hovel where he lives. And that is where Luke's moment begins. So my moment is when Unstoff meets Binro the heretic, as we later learn that he's called by the populace of Reboss. And Unstoff's on the run. Quick! Binro is sheltering him from the guards. You! Show yourself! For reasons unknown. And then it turns out they have this conversation about why Binro is essentially homeless and, and living on the streets. I know what it's like when every man's hand is against you. And, and why he would take in a, a stranger such as Unstoff. Binro the heretic. Oh, it wasn't much of a heresy, my friend. And it's because... Just a little thing. He, what? on this primitive, superstitious world, has dared to make scientific measurements. And he believes that the ice crystals that he can see in the sky... They are not ice crystals. They're actually other stars. I believe they are suns, just like our own sun. And to challenge the dogmatic view that the reason that Reboss gets hot and cold is because... They prefer to believe that Reboss is some sort of battleground over which the sun gods and the ice gods fight for supremacy. And, and he's figured out that, actually, no, it's just because Reboss has an elliptical orbit around its sun. They said that if I did not publicly recant my beliefs, the gods would destroy our world. And Unstoff... Did you? 
in the end. Being from another planet. Binro mm-hmm. tells him that... Supposing he, I were to tell you that everything you've just said... He is correct. ...is absolutely true. There are other worlds, other suns. That these deductions that he has he, made from his observations are true. You believe it too? And this... Obviously I know it for a fact. ...blows Binro's mind. I come from one of those other worlds. But... <gasps> also makes him you? extremely <laughs> grateful towards the end of his life, uh, and as we find out later in the story, the very last day of his life. I thought I thought I should tell you because he was right. One day, even here in the future, and that enduring the persecution that he endured, men will turn to each other and say, "Was worth it." Binro was right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a happy, sad moment. Just <laughs> the terrible life that Binro must have led, and then it is brightened momentarily before the end. Uh, What made you want to pick this one? I have a fondness for this particular season of Doctor Who. I became a fan during the wilderness years. I was only a few years old when Doctor Who finished, as we thought, for good. And so my consumption of Doctor Who was was rather piecemeal, really, and and not really watching anything or reading anything in particular order, with the exception of the Key to Time season. So there's a a certain uh, sort of reminiscence that I have about this particular season, and the first half of the season in particular is, is very strong, and this story in particular is quite memorable to me. I wouldn't say that this moment, though, sticks out for me from back then. I don't think I was really in a place to appreciate what this moment was about when I first read it or saw it. I think that appreciation has come later, and I think it's just such a poignant moment. The new series is very good at making... Well, more in the RTD era, there were a few moments where I cried which was something that I wasn't used to doing in Doctor Who. And yet this is a classic series moment, which is probably about as close to that as I get. It's very emotional. Mm. This small character who doesn't even meet the Doctor and Romana properly at all, this very incidental person to the to the grand arc that's going on in the season. But um, we, we just get to see this little kind of snippet of his life as he takes his role in the story. And it's just, it's just nice to, to, to kind of have this moment where the story kind of stops to, to breathe. And <laughs> one of the delightful... There's a couple of ironies about this moment and this story. And the first is that it's the con man who tells him that he's right. Mm. It's this I mean, very likeable rogue, but a, a rogue nonetheless who makes his living out of lying to people. My poor old dad spent his life for searching for that scringstone mine. And they reckon as though he found it in the end, just before he died. Is the person in the story who gets to tell the truth to Binro. Um, so I like that irony about it. The other thing, and this is this is a bigger thing about the the story as a whole, is that um, well, I'll ask, I'll ask you this question. I'd be interested to see what your thought is. If you had to describe what the worldview of Doctor Who was, what would you say? Like philosophically, what what kind of worldview does Doctor Who have? I don't think it's necessarily consistent. Probably everything that happens in life must have a scientific explanation. A materialist. You know where to look for it. That is worldview. I mean, that's good that you said that because. <laughs> That's kind of where I was going. And the thing about the Rebus operation is that although, in a sense, there's an, there's an affirmation of that in this particular moment, particularly the, the sort of like, here is a scientific thing and it's being affirmed and, and this kind of religiously dogmatic... I'm kind of waving my hands here, which obviously you can't see. <laughs> um, but this religiously dogmatic idea and it's, put, it's kind of pitting them against each other and one clearly comes out on top. But also, this is one of the very few stories in Doctor Who where the supernatural is not explained away in scientific terms, which I find absolutely fascinating in that we have this character of the seeker he's not a particularly pleasant person um, it must be said but who is able through some kind of clairvoyant gift to track and stuff down 
and, and is what kind of keeps the momentum going in the second half of the story. And in any, pretty much any other Doctor Who story. The explosion was so powerful it cracked open a rift in time. This would be explained. Just for a second, that's what gave you the gift of prophecy. There would be a line of dialogue from the Doctor. Echoed back into the Pyrovillian alternative. That would say, oh, there's some kind of effect on this planet which allows this gift to be given to, to certain people or whatever. But there would be something. And there just isn't. Yeah. There just isn't in this in this story. And for me, that I guess that that openness to that is is something that's very important to me personally, and to, and to have that in have this moment about the science, which I, I I'm passionate about as well, but also to kind of say, well, look, here's the supernatural, and we're not going to explain it away. And I'm not sure what the writer's intention is behind that. I don't know what Holmes himself would have thought, but I just I just love the juxtaposition of the of the two as, as it comes together in in the Rebus operation. I think there's even more going on with that irony than you've just mentioned because the sort of dogma on the planet Rebus that Binro is rejecting is that the reason seasons happen is because of a war between sun gods and ice gods. Yeah. But the Doctor and Romana come to this planet in service of I am the right guardian, one cosmic being who's at war with another cosmic being. That is also a black guardian. And when the doctor is interacting with the white guardian, you have been chosen for a vitally important task. You see a sort of deference and it's very flattering, sir. Reverence that you very rarely see the doctor offer to anyone. No legends, myths, that sort of thing. It is no myth. Sorry, sir. The doctor is by is by nature. He's a he's a rebel. He's a renegade, and he's you know he's irreverent. But you see him act reverently. I, I, f- I feel like there's there's a larger factor in this story that's kind of in alignment with the seeker against the sort of materialist worldview that you might be tempted to read into that Binro moment. Yes, I hadn't even considered that aspect. But yes, it's very true. There is that larger arc o- over the season that if you want to look for a god in Doctor Who, or, or as you say, gods, the White and Black Guardians are about as close as you come. I mean, not to a classical kind of monotheistic god, but more the sort of yin-yang idea of Eastern religion, that you have these two equal but opposite forces that are the ultimate sort of bedrock of reality. And the implication is that the white guardian's the good one and the black guardian's the bad one. You want me to volunteer, isn't that it? Precisely. But I'm not entirely sure from that opening scene... And if I don't? ...that we can say that. Nothing. Nothing. There's certainly a threat. You mean nothing will happen to me? Implied by the White Guardian if the Doctor doesn't... Nothing at all. ...take on his mission. Ever. It's not a case of one is entirely benign and one is entirely malevolent. They are opposing forces that maintain the, the cosmos. At least as far as the Doctor Who universe goes. Yeah, and I, and I find that kind of interesting because it, it resonates so well with the religious orthodoxy that Binro's rejecting. Yes. <laughs> of the sun gods and the ice gods being two counterbalancing forces yeah. that control the weather on his planet. I'm still not quite sure whether what to make of that because you know ultimately Binro is right. Yes, ultimately Binro ultimately Binro is right. Yeah, he's correct about yes. his his scientific observations and he's correct about the conclusions he draws and he's clearly a better person than the people who have treated him badly. Yes, I don't know if you feel this way, but Binro reminds me a little bit of the Doctor. Okay, um, shoot. <laughs> I'm I'm perhaps reading a lot of very recent new series stuff into that, but you have that moment that I find quite powerful and moving in the Doctor Falls where I do what I do because it's right. Because it's decent, and above all, it's kind. It's just that. Just kind. 
it's a, it's a different sort of right he's talking about there. He's not talking about factual correctness. He's talking about being a good person. And he's also, you know, the doctor, much like Ben Rosa, is a renegade from his own people. Oh, I, I say, weren't you expelled or something? Um, some scandal? Oh, it's all been forgotten about now. Boy. Oh, really? The doctor is also a heretic. Yes, yes. He he does not agree with the, the Time Lord policy of non-intervention. That you have repeatedly broken our most important law of non-interference in the affairs of other planets. What have you to say? Do you admit these actions? I not only admit them, I am proud of them. And I, I, I again, it, I suppose it depends on your worldview as to um, as to whether the rightness of understanding how the world works scientifically and the rightness of morality, whether they are in fact the same kind of thing. Sure. In terms of whether there's an objective truth to either, which I would say I think I think there is. That there are definitely things that are right and wrong, both in terms of how we understand the universe and and, and how we behave in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I had I'd not drawn that parallel before, so so that's, <laughs> that's that is a great kind of thing. I think that's the the other thing is that the entire guest cast, with the exception of Binro, are either thoroughly unpleasant or criminal. Do you know, I think his social maladjustment is entirely due to a deep rooted sense of rejection. Binro is the one character in this story that you like. What's the word? Unreservedly. Because obviously the story makes you like Garen and Unstop. But he had such an honest face. Romana, you can't be a successful crook with a dishonest face, can you? But at the end of the day, they are they are criminals. And in the same way that the, the show Hustle... The first rule of the con. ...makes you like the heroes because... Is he can't cheat an honest man. they're always conning rich people. The only way this thing works is if you want something for nothing. So what do we do? Well, we give you nothing for something. They have this kind of moral code that allows them to, to do what they do. But ultimately, they are doing something that is incredibly dishonest, which is to sell planets. There is a great demand for planets that are completely unspoiled and so sensible. This is very funny. There are very few of them coming on the market today. But it's Binro that stands up as this paragon, I suppose, of, of virtue, who has stood up for the truth, been beaten down and tortured. And then the two further moments that kind of continue this moment are the, the, the moment where he explains to Unstop... For years... I was jeered at and derided. Why he would risk his life for stuff. I began to doubt even myself. Because you told me I was right. Then you came along and you told me I was right. Just to know that for certain Unstop. Well, it's worth a life. <laughs> and then that final moment when he dies. Unstop! Get here, you fool, you fool, man! <laughs> As he's dying, having been shot, he says, Right. I was right, wasn't I? I was right, Unstop. Yes. And he, he's just that kind of final... Is that Ben Rowe? Slightly doubting, but he's like... I, Charming fella, the little I saw of him. Just remind me again that I was right. And it's that kind of thing of, it was worth it. It was worth dying in this way because I was right. And he, he it seems that he is, although incredibly tragic, an incredibly tragic figure, he is satisfied in death because he has known the truth. What do you think about the character of Unstoff? He's kind of the con man. Do you see him as being a wholly negative figure, or do you see him as having a kind of redemptive arc? Oh, no, I, I mean, I, I think he, he definitely goes on that journey. Yeah, no I, 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 no, I don't see him as a negative figure at all. He is clearly understudy to a, a much greater, or, or, or a con man with a much longer career, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Unstoff? Yeah, junior employee. But with an open, honest face. Oh, yes, of course, you've seen him. Yes. Um, as I, and as I said, the script m- makes a point of making them likeable. You are supposed to be on the side of Garen and Unstoff 
in the face of the people they're conning. But I, but yes, I, w- I would say you still have to recognise the fact that they are doing something wrong. But he is very much the sympathetic character. He's the one that is put upon by the, the elder statesman of the con. Like, you have to do all the dirty work, basically. Mm. Why is it always me? Why do I always get these jobs? You're young. I'm too old to go down there. Well, I want a chance to be old too. I'm going to draw a parallel here, which you will miss entirely, but it will be relevant for any UK listeners you have. Okay. They are, in some sense, like Paul and Barry Chuck. To me! Oh, You're right. You. Yes. <laughs> I've missed that one entirely. You've missed that one. To me, to me, to me, to you, to you, to you. And the reason it's relevant is because Barry died recently. These two, the Chuckle brothers, genu- brothers in real life mm-hmm. and entertainers on kids' TV for, for years. I mean, I was watching them when I was when I was a kid. And their relationship is very much unequal. Oh, there you are. Yeah. Have you done what I've told you? Yes. Well, what have you done? Nothing. Hey, why not? Well, you didn't tell me to do anything. And, and that you have Paul bossing Barry around, even though Barry is the elder of the two of them. Hey, we're a bit short-staffed today. Oh. So later on, I might need to work that till. Till when? Till later. Oh. This is relationship it... is very is very similar. Garen wants the benefits of whatever it is that they're doing without having to do all the dirty work. And so I think that inequality automatically puts Unstoff in a more favourable light. Mm. And then you get the point where he's being a little bit incompetent um, <laughs> by trying to over-egg the con. That be what we call Scringstone, sir. With his um, Scringstone mine <laughs> uh, and the map of said mine. Well, they love that bit about my poor old dad finding the mine. And that's another thing, you greedy little creep. If you're thinking of selling him that map, just forget it. But I think you're rooting for him all, all the way through because he's being pursued by such unpleasant... Um, people and and you want him to escape even if ultimately they can't ultimately win because the Doctor and Romana are the ones that have to triumph overall and get the piece of Jethric because that's the more important thing that's going on here, the safety of the universe. But I also feel like throughout the course of the story, I feel like Garen is losing sway over him a bit. Yes. I, I think I think Binro has an influence on him. You cabling old hypocrite, how could you? Well, I admit I had a great struggle with my conscience. Fortunately, I won. Yes, I suppose. I suppose maybe that his contact with this character of of purity, if we want to be so highfalutin, um, does have an effect on him. But I, but I think I think it's possibly a journey he's already on mm. because he he clearly is frustrated with playing the role that he plays, subservient to to Garen. But also, we know from the story that this is Garen's last job. Sure, this was to be our last job. He often talks of going back to Hackney Wick. What's that? Well, for all I can make out, it's just just a mud patch in the middle of nowhere. It's not a case of Unstoff is going to kind of stab him in the back or anything. This is very much Garon trying to go out on a on a high by selling a planet, and and you get the impression that he will retire. Or well, had he not lost the Jethric, mm. he would have retired back to Hackneywick, and Unstoff would have gone on possibly to form his own crew. But you then have, as you say, the influence of Binro, maybe. Maybe Unstoff goes on and says, well, actually, this interaction with this, this man who gave his life for me, maybe, maybe that is enough for him to say, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make something better of my existence. Money isn't everything, Garen. Well, who wants everything? <laughs> I'll settle for 90%. But again, it, it's, all, it's all speculation. It's, 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 <laughs> right. it's, it's for the writers of fan fiction to, I mean, and no doubt, I don't know, somebody may well have done. <laughs> If you're aware of Unstuff and Garon fan fiction, um, do let us know. <laughs> yes, tweet at the moment part. And I, I suppose there's a, again there's a mirroring of Garon and Unstuff in the Doctor and Romana. 
you have the elder statesman of Con with the young guy, and in this you have the most experienced Time Lord there is at going out and meddling in the universe with a young Time Lord fresh out of the Academy who knows all the theory and yet is not at all practised. And both of them have the upper hand at various points in the story. The Doctor kind of thinks, well, I know all of this. The secret of survival is always to expect the unexpected. He's the one that ends up in the bear trap. But Romana is the one that is taken in by the con men and thinks that the segment is going to be the crown of Reboss. But surely it's taken the shape of the crown. The Doctor is like, no, no. The segment moved a considerable distance between the readings. There were clues enough to know that... It could only have been there... A day when we arrive, so... The only thing in the cabinet that it could have been... It could only have been the lump of Jethric which didn't belong there. Was the Jethric. And actually, the Doctor and Romana, because they're on this quest for the key to time, they actually get involved in this story somewhat less than they might otherwise have, and are certainly not, not focused on whatever injustice is going on on this planet in terms of the treatment of, of Binro, mainly because they were unaware of Binro. <laughs> right, which is, I find that kind of sad because Binro is one of the most interesting figures in the story. He doesn't have the opportunity to have his intelligence recognized for that reason that he lives what you might call an unremarkable life, but which it's almost more important within the story, the things that he does than what the Doctor and Romana do. The Doctor and Romana just turn up and take away a lump of rock. The real story is what's, what's kind of happening, the things that they don't see. Yes. It reminds me of that moment in Father's Day where there's a lull in the action and the Doctor gets to have a conversation with the bride and groom. How did all this get started? Outside the beatbox club. Two in the morning. Street corner. I'd lost my purse, didn't have money for a taxi. And asks them a little bit about themselves. Wrote his number on the back of my hand. Never got rid of her since. And they kind of talk about the normality of their lives. I've travelled to all sorts of places, done things you couldn't even imagine, but you two. And he's like, that. that's something that I can never have. Street corner, two in the morning, getting a taxi home. I've never had a life like that. And yet he's the one that's standing there protecting yes. that normal life from... I'll try and save you. ...falling into chaos and terror. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like that, that idea. But but like you say, that difference between Binro and the Doctor is is one of opportunity and power. That had, had Binro been born on Gallifrey and the Doctor born on Rebos, that you could see their places reversed. And, and it would be Binro who, travelling around the universe in his in his police box. <laughs> Do you think Binro will in fact be uh, remembered on Rebos and that people will say that he's right? Well, that's, I mean, that's, that's Unstoff's prediction, isn't it? He says one day they will say Binro was right. I mean, you would like to think so, wouldn't you? I mean, there are people on our planet... Since the days of Galileo... And Copernicus. And Copernicus. Whose ideas clashed with the religious establishment of their day, who are remembered for their science. Just as much as there are famous scientists who... Uh, Newton, of course. ...held their religion and their... Definitely Newton. ...and their science together. There's no limit to Isaac's genius. And also we're, we're, we're very successful as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, the, the possibility is there. I, I guess the, as the story kind of unfolds, the only person that recognises Binro is, your face, is one of the sort of lowly kind of guard. Binro. Binro the heretic. Clearly he had made a splash yeah. at some point in the public sphere. We don't meet any historians of on Rebos to know whether their history taking is any good. <laughs> but I'd like to think that Binro's name would survive and that uh, he would be vindicated at some point in the future. Is it important to you to be right? Um, yes, um, but I'm working on it. You think you should 
lower the value you place on it? I think I think truth is very important, and I think ultimate truth in particular is very important. We've talked about the fact that Doctor Who has this largely materialistic worldview, but it's a worldview that I, I don't subscribe to myself. I am a Christian, I do believe in a God, and that reality ultimately flows out of the fact that there is a God. Physical reality, moral reality, all that kind of stuff. So I do think that's incredibly important. And I think there are, there are definite kind of strains in my particular upbringing, which have perhaps overemphasized being right over being compassionate, maybe, should we say, or, mm. or, or grace, to use the religious language, to being more truthful than gracious. I think there has to be a balance between the two. And I think the older I've got, the more I find that you have to meet people where they're at. You have to find common ground with people who have views that you find incredibly disagreeable. And we live in an age politically which is increasingly polarised, both in your nation and mine, where this kind of the, the discourse between opposing visions of the world is, is just hateful. And, and both sides at various points claiming that they have the right, they have the, the, the moral high ground, whatever, when none of us, as limited human beings, have the complete truth about everything. So while there are, there are definite hills I will die on with regards to aspects of truth, there, there's a lot that I'm just, I'm just like, well, let's just, let's just let that go. My relationships with people, my friendships with people are much more important than most of the things that I might want to fight about, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I think a strong need to be right can, can make one bitter. Yes. Can make one very unkind. Yes. Which is one of the reasons why I find Binro such an interesting and a hopeful vision of how faith that you are right about the truths you hold dear to can can turn you into a kind and compassionate person yes instead of into someone who is you know bitter and angry and distrustful yes and i I like i like to think that i'm more of a binro uh than a uh well i don't know who 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 represents the opposite point of view well the graph i suppose the graph sure the graph is the height of bitterness well the alliance forgot them fast enough when i returned home to find my half-brother clay in the libyan throne he feels massively wronged by the people who have dethroned him. After all I had done for the Alliance, not a word was said in my favour, not a single hand raised in my support. Highness. I guess he feels a rightness about whatever it is that he stands for, which seems to be his own ego, and he is prepared to seemingly do anything, commit any atrocity. Do you think I can rest for one moment until I have won back the Lividian crown, which is mine by right? For the sake of that rightness. Everything must be subordinate to that purpose. A counterexample, actually, from, from the new series. Not too long ago, I was rewatching. The series for Centaurin two part of it, the Centaurin stratagem in the Poison Sky, yeah, and sort of the main human villain in that is this this really nasty young scrawny nerd boy who is so sure that he's the only visionary who understands anything and will I'm clever than you burn the world down. I'm clever than everyone. You hear me? Um, because of it. Who's, who happens to share my name? Yes, Luke Rattigan himself. And himself a bee. He has kind of a turn for the better at the end, I guess you might say. He mm. What are you doing? Something clever. You know, he sacrifices himself for the good, so... Sometimes! Yes. I mean, he's not all bad, but... I kind of think of him as, like, the anti-Binro, and I think I see a lot of him in our society today. I think he's a very contemporary figure, possibly even more now than he was ten years ago when that, that episode aired. Yes. Yes, that, that, that rings true. Binro is kind of like a nice antidote to that yeah. much more likable vision of of what can happen to a person as a result of society rejecting their their ideas yes what kind of person you can become if not what kind of circumstances you can find yourself in i mean obviously no one wants to be living the way that 
that Binrel lives. But I mean, to be more like him would would be nice. I, yes, I think I think counterpointing the two of them is is to, is to say something about the nature of character over circumstance, mm-hmm. regardless of your circumstances whether you perceive them to be good or bad it is what your character is that comes through and determines your your actions another person could have been faced with binro's circumstances and, and as you say become incre- incredibly bitter but he doesn't he just plods on collecting his fossils <laughs> selling them in the market and then one day someone drops into his world and brightens his day with the truth before he dies and that's binro and that is it for the moment this week. Many thanks to Luke Harrison, who you can follow on Twitter at Back in the USSR 6. That's like the Beatles song without any spaces and with a numeral 6 on the end. If you want to see episodes of his old Doctor Who show, Tamidwup, which you should, he's on YouTube as Cat Among the Pigeons 6. That's like the Agatha Christie book without any spaces and with the numeral 6 on the end. There, you can find old episodes of Timidwhoop and lots of other stuff. Luke also co-hosts UFOcast, a podcast about Jerry Anderson's 1970s sci-fi TV series, UFO. And he also does professional video work, so if you want to find out more about that, you can find it on his website at imagovideo.co.uk. And Imago is spelled like if you added M to Iago, the parrot from Aladdin or the villain from Othello. You can find this show on Twitter at the Moment Pod, and you can find more stuff at themomentpod.com. If you want to help the show grow up big and strong, you can feed it a review on iTunes. That's a weird metaphor, and I'm sorry I said it. I'm Tom Dickinson, and I'll be back in a moment. <laughs> 